0: Hello, and welcome to episode 29 of the Everything Pup podcast. I'm your host, Holly Montgomery. The first time I met a real life wolf dog, it was a magical experience. I started to imagine that one day I might share my home with a wolf dog. I mean, how cool would it be to have a wild looking pet that was actually domesticated like a dog? But the more I learned about the wolf dog, the more I realized that these animals are not just like dogs. They're not fully domesticated and not fully wild, and many wolf dogs that contain high wolf content find themselves displaced and not truly belonging anywhere. Today's guest is Georgina Deccany. Georgina is the founder of Wolf Dog Awareness and the executive director of Yamniska Wolf Dog Sanctuary near Cochrane, Alberta, Canada. In this episode, Georgina will share her personal experience with her pet wolf dog named Kuna and how she went on the journey from becoming a wolf dog owner to becoming an advocate for both wolf dogs and wolves. You're listening to the Everything Pup Podcast, the place for dedicated
1: pup parents to find valuable dog-centric tips, interviews with trusted industry experts and your favorite dog brands, and everything else you need to become an informed advocate for
0: your best friend. Now, here's your host, Holly Montgomery. Hello everyone and welcome back. Today's topic holds a really special place in my heart because I've always been drawn to wolf dogs since the very first time that today's guest introduced me to one. I am really happy to introduce you all to the founder of Wolf Dog Awareness and the executive director of Yamnuska Wolf Dog Sanctuary right here in Cochrane, Alberta, Canada, Georgina Deccany. Welcome to the show Georgina.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. It's nice to see your face and hear your voice again.
0: <laughs> you too. I always have to tell our listeners that, um, that that we get to see each other's faces, even though you guys don't get to see us. But um, someday we might actually do video podcasts because that seems to be the thing to do. But mm-hmm. I'm I'm not there emotionally yet to do that. Well, I'm um- and this takes some of the pressure off too. I totally agree. <laughs> because my background would have to be a lot neater. Yes. <laughs> right now it's all my papers in my office, but you guys didn't need to know that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, before I dive too deep into your background, Georgina, I just want to give our listeners a little bit more information on wolf dogs. Can you start by telling us what exactly is a wolf dog and how did they come to be?
1: Yeah. So basically a wolf dog is a dog that has some amount of wolf content bred into them. It could be a very small amount of wolf to a whole lot of wolf. And, um, it's usually a scenario where people have intentionally bred them. So it's not that a wild wolf is mating with a domestic dog. It's more so people intentionally breeding wolf dogs to other wolf dogs, um, to create more wolf dogs. And, um, Now, one of the challenges with wolf dogs is that there is tons of variation because at the end of the day, they are essentially the ultimate mutt because not only are they a function of the degree of wolf content that's in them, but they're also going to be a function of what dog breeds of dog are into them, right? Right. And if you think about it, a wolf dog that's mainly wolf is going to look and behave very differently than a wolf dog that's mainly dog. And then even if you compare two wolf dogs of similar wolf content, so let's say you have a wolf dog that is mainly dog with a little bit of wolf, but their main dog breed is German Shepherd, that animal is going to look and behave differently than another wolf dog of similar wolf content, but the main dog breed is Malamute, for example, right? So um, I like to call them the ultimate mutt, but... Yeah, at the end of the day, they are complex creatures, but they are wonderful.
0: <laughs> I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I actually hadn't even really given that much thought, but because the wolf dogs at your sanctuary all look kind of similar, so... um We'll get more into this later, but they're probably more of a high, a high content wolf dog. That's probably why. But, but I hadn't thought of the actual dog breed involved, actually, which is kind of strange. But <laughs> that's why we do these interviews. But <laughs>
1: yeah, on well, that note. that's a lot of complication to the mix, right? Because, yeah, it's not just about the wolf content. We also got to think about the dog in them as well.
0: Oh, true. So on that note, what is the difference between a low, mid or a high content wolf dog?
1: Yeah, so basically, um, when we talk about wolf dogs, we do classify them as either being low content, mid content or high content. And that essentially helps us to establish some kind of breed standard or guidelines to look at. Because again, as I mentioned earlier, a high-content wolf dog is going to look and behave very differently than a low-content wolf dog. So if we don't make those distinctions between low, mid, or high, and we just talk about a specific animal as a wolf dog, um, you aren't able to be very accurate about it. Because yeah, if somebody owns, let's say, a low-content wolf dog, but they don't make that specification they're just telling people oh yeah you know my wolf dog can walk on leash it can you know it does well riding in the vehicle Um, it does well meeting other dogs somebody might listen to that and say oh wolf dogs can ride well in vehicles they can walk on leash well that kind of stuff when that might be true for low content wolf dogs that only have a small amount of wolf content in them but that's not going to be true for wolf dogs of higher wolf content. And so that's why when we're talking about wolf dogs, having that distinction of low, mid or high is crucial. And yeah. And so just to then, I guess, back it up in case it isn't obvious when we're talking about low content wolf dogs, they're mainly dog with a small amount of wolf content, typically, you know, about 20 to 49% wolf or so. Um, mid-content wolf dogs kind of have a medium amount of wolf content in, in them, usually about, you know, like 50 to 80% or so. Um, and then high-content wolf dogs are mainly wolf with only a really small amount of dog content. And yeah, typically about 80 plus percent wolf.
0: Okay. So how do you, as somebody deal who deals with wolf dogs, Differentiate? How do you know when you're looking at them or, or um I don't know if the right words analyzing, but you know, yeah. like trying to give them those distinct uh kind of um classifications? Yeah. So that's a great question.
1: So at the end of the day, we have to remember that there are a lot of unique differences between wolves and dogs. So by knowing those differences and then identifying those differences, that's how you can start um yeah, classifying them as low, mid, or high content. The technical term for this is called phenotyping, and yeah, we basically look at the physical, behavioral, and some of the biological differences between wolves and dogs. And so, just as an example, um, I mean, physical differences is kind of the easiest one, but there are a lot of physical differences between pure wolves and dogs, right? So, just as an example, wolves have very narrow chests, super long legs, big paws. Um, you know, they've got straight tails, they've got yellow colored eyes, almond shaped eyes. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Whereas a husky, for example, can have blue eyes, brown eyes. They tend to have a bit of a wider chest, a bit of a shorter leg, a curly tail. You know, so those are just some examples of physical differences. There's lots of them. Um, but yeah, that's just kind of a small list um behavioral differences again i could talk for hours about this but you know some of the obvious ones are that dogs have been domesticated meaning that they've got a really high degree of affinity towards humans right they want to be around us please us work for us different breeds to varying extents but ultimately they do have that fundamental affinity towards humans whereas wolves don't have that, right? They evolve to survive in the wild and that honestly meant avoiding humans. So they don't want to be around people. Um, so, and yeah, and there's many other behavioral differences um, that we can get into more later if you like. Yeah, yeah. Um, But then thirdly, just some of the biological markers that we can look at. So wolves, for example, they're only, the puppies are only born in the springtime. So Yeah, so if you've got um, a puppy that you think, oh my God, is this a wolf or a dog, but they were born in December, it definitely can't be a wolf. And the reason for that is wolves have a very different reproductive cycle or breeding cycle compared to dogs. And so this I find actually kind of interesting, but um, if you look at domestic dogs, male dogs, as long as they're not neutered, they are fertile 365 days of the year, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas with wolves, the male wolves will actually only be fertile during their breeding season, which usually falls somewhere around February or so. Um, And so yeah, so outside of that breeding season in the wintertime, male wolves are not fertile. So that means that a domestic dog and a wild wolf could never even mate outside of that really short window of breeding season. And then when we compare that to female dogs and female wolves, for example, female dogs cycle twice a year, right? Usually about every six months or so. Um, Female wolves, again, it's only once a year and it's that same breeding window. That's usually, yeah, sometime between December, February. And it usually lasts for about Two kind of two to four weeks. Um, It can vary, but yeah, it's a pretty short window. So um, yeah, so those are just again just some examples of biological differences that are very unique to wolves versus dogs.
0: That's nuts! I had no idea about that. Mm -hmm. Holy cow! So yeah, you're right. Like for I mean, I was thinking, could there ever accidentally be a breeding between a wolf and a dog? Because you had said that it's mostly humans that are kind of uh, making that happen. It's not like a natural kind of phenomenon, but I mean, you'd have to have in that very short window, a dog in heat wandering around. <laughs> exactly. Right. Like it yeah. really
1: kind of narrows down that window of opportunity for it to even happen.
0: Yeah. Well, all right. Well, that's very interesting. Um, what was your very first experience with wolf dogs?
1: Yeah, so I my very first experience with wolf dogs was actually working at a sled dog kennel. Um I was it was the summer uh after my second year of university. I was just looking for a summer job. And yeah, I've always loved animals, especially dogs, and so I decided to work at a sled dog kennel for the summer. And they had a few low content wolf dogs that had been surrendered to them um, that they were using as sled dogs. And then they had one high-content wolf dog that um, they didn't use as as a sled dog because behaviorally, they're not going to ever want to (laughs) be sled dogs, wear harnesses, pulling people around, that kind of thing. Um, But yeah, they kind of just had him there. And so that's how I was introduced to wolf dogs and that something like that even exists because prior to that, I didn't even know a wolf dog existed. Um, And this was back in 2008. And, um, so yeah. And then I think kind of like a lot of people out there, when I first saw them and got to know about them, my first reaction was like, oh my God, like these animals are amazing and I kind of want one. Right. And, um, yeah. And silly me, um, I ended up getting one. Um, and I don't know if you want me to go into the story of how I really got into wolf dogs, but yeah, I, I mean, do, want the- you to do that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah, so honestly, I, I was at that point now 19 years old, and I got it in my head that I want to own a wolf dog because they're beautiful. They're amazing. And, you know, like I grew up um, rescuing dogs, and we always had lots of dogs in the family. And in my mind, I'm like, I know what I'm doing. Uh, I'm prepared for this. And so, yeah, here I was 19 years old and ended up getting my hands on a high-content wolf dog. Um, For anybody that's just starting to get into wolf dog ownership, don't start with a high-content wolf dog. (laughs) I don't advise it. Um, Because, yeah, like I learned the very hard way um, some of the major challenges that people can come across and... Um, there was a moment in time very early on that I was very close to actually um, thinking about returning my wolf dog back to the breeder because we were just having so many challenges um, that I didn't think that I could overcome. And um, But thankfully, I stuck with it, and I made a lot of the changes that I needed to as a human as the person, as the caregiver, to be able to give Kuna, my first wolf dog, what she needed to be happy. Um, But yeah, it was a really difficult time because at the end of the day, um, there was a lot of feelings of failure and guilt and what did I get myself into and how am I going to make this work? and, And it wasn't anything like what I was expecting it to be. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges that people have. They go into wolf dog ownership thinking it's going to be one way, but in reality, it's a totally different way. And unless you're able to transition into the reality of this situation, and as again, the human, their caregiver, get yourself up to speed as far as the knowledge you need to properly care for these animals and tr- interact with them, as well as ensuring that you're changing your lifestyle to give this wolf dog what it needs to be happy. Um, Yeah. It's not up to the wolf dog to change who it is to, care for you, the human, right? And um, so, yeah, like I had to make some pretty major sacrifices to my life. And again, I was in university, I was thinking that I could have a social life outside of (laughs) studying, and all this kind of stuff and have a wolf dog at home. Um, So I had to make that choice of what am I going to basically, I don't want to say cut out of my life, but to a certain degree, yes, it's going to either be the wolf dog or basically having a life outside of my school, right? Outside of studying and all that kind of stuff. And I made the right call and chose my wolf dog, but it was really hard as a 19 year old, right? And, um, cause it was such a huge responsibility that I think at that point in my life, like I just wasn't, I didn't even know what it meant and I sure as heck wasn't prepared for it. Um, And so I really had to make that decision of what am I committing to, you know, like, do I go down this path of really figuring out everything I need to figure out in order to make it work with this wolf dog or not. And yeah, it was, I had to make some really big changes to my life. It was the best decision that I ever made, but I know it's not a decision that everybody can make. And that's where one of the things that I am really inspired to do now is educate people about what it really is like to own a wolf dog and get into wolf dog ownership so that you aren't in that situation where you're faced with all these feelings of shame and guilt and failure. And Oh my God, what am I going to do? Um, because you weren't prepared and, um, and yeah, I feel like I know what it's like to get into it, not prepared and get into it with very misguided expectations. And I just want to help people not go down the hard path, which is the one that I went down.
0: (laughs) Well, that's one of the main reasons I wanted to have you here. And I wanted to kind of give you this platform as an opportunity to do that. And because of that, can you please share with people what the biggest challenges were for you with owning a wolf dog? Like maybe give them kind of what your expectation was and then versus what, what your actual living situation was like. And, and I know some of this because I've, I've been on your website and I've talked to you before. So I want people to know (laughs) how hard it is for them to actually, believing that they're getting a dog and then what what do they actually get?
1: (laughs) You bet. Yeah. And I'm happy to go into that. And now before I do, I just want to give one little disclaimer and that again, like I'm talking about owning a high content wolf dog, right? Mm -hmm. So this can be quite different for people that are getting into low content wolf dog ownership. Um, But for me as, you know, just getting into high content wolf dog ownership, my biggest challenge, or, or I think where I ultimately, my mindset was wrong is that I thought that I could treat her like a dog and that just was not the case. So When we think about our relationship with domestic dogs, right, they are naturally um, a very two-way relationship in the sense that domestic dogs have been, you know, tamed for like, what, tens of thousands of years to want to be around us humans, work for us humans. Um, It's actually been proven now that dogs are born with the natural ability to understand human body language, facial expressions, right? All this stuff and um and yeah dogs were bred to live with us humans whereas with wolves that's not the case and because i had a high content wolf dog um she wasn't pre-programmed with a natural trusting of me the human a natural ability to understand my body language my facial expressions just how you know i communicate And she sure was not programmed to naturally want to please me and work for me or wear a collar and leash or be in small enclosed spaces, be in a house, like all these things that with our domestic dogs, we take for granted because that's just, again, what they were bred to be able to do. But a high content wolf dog that's mainly wolf, they're not born with any of those skills or those abilities. Yet I was treating Kuna and training Kuna and interacting with Kuna on the assumption that she was capable of all that. And that was a huge mistake because basically I'm asking her, I'm, I'm asking her to n- know all this knowledge and have all these skills. And when things weren't clicking it didn't occur to me that that was the reason why Mm -hmm. in my mind, I'm like, why isn't she getting this? Why isn't she treating me this way? Like what is, you know, like I thought there was something wrong with her and I, when in reality, it's just the natural state of how, you know, it's her, her instinctual behaviors and her capabilities versus mine. We are speaking a totally different language. Right. Sounds like it. <laughs> yeah. And um, so I had to, once I finally realized that, which I am embarrassed to admit took me way longer, I think, than it should have. Um, but yeah, like I basically had to start at square one. Right. And I had to give her the time and the space to be able to learn all those things about me, a human. And I had to give myself also the time and the space to be able to learn all those things about her, right? Figure out why is she responding to things at the way, the way she is. And I had to learn and teach myself all about instinctual wolf behaviors to be able to kind of connect all those dots and figure out, okay, yeah, she's reacting to this, this way, because those are the natural instinctual behaviors of wolves, right? Whereas originally I was thinking, well, her behaviors don't make sense to me because dogs don't behave that way, but she's not a dog. Right. And so, yeah, I really just had to forget almost everything that I knew about training a dog and just listen to what she was trying to tell me. And she ended up teaching me pretty much everything that I ever needed to know about how to properly interact with her and care for her. All I needed to do was actually listen, pay yeah. attention and listen, right? But yeah, at first in my mind, I had this playbook of dog behavior and how it should be. And I was blinded by that, right? And when her behavior wasn't matching that, that's where the conflict was. And so it was, yeah, that point where I mentally was able to just throw that out the window and just start fresh with her and have her teach me. That's when we finally were able to, create a symbiotic relationship, right? Where, you know, we got to know each other and learn about each other and kind of grow together. Um, But most people in their lives don't have the time or the space for that, right? Because that's a big undertaking. And um, so, yeah, it takes a very specific type of person that is capable and willing to do all that.
0: And people like yourself, like you say, you're embarrassed to admit it took the amount of time it did. But I think that you're probably one in just a few, a handful of people that actually figured that out. So you should probably give yourself a massive pat on the (laughs) back for that. (laughs) (laughs) And now you can help other people, which is kind of what you're doing now and, and being here and speaking with me too. So I think that's awesome. Um, I didn't know any of that stuff either, because actually, I think I had a- applied for a wolf dog from Yamnuska a very long time ago, and um, when I said I had a four-foot fence, immediately it was a no, and I'm like, what's wrong with my four-foot fence? It keeps <laughs> <laughs> my dogs in, <laughs> but yeah. I am so grateful that um, you said no, <laughs> <laughs> and that now I get to be educated on why. So. I would like to pass that on to other people. So um, before you opened Yamniska Wolf Dog Sanctuary, what were the options for wolf dog owners that could no longer care for their pet?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, honestly, there weren't very many, right? So, I mean, the odd sled dog kennel might take one that, you know, does have the ability to pull and be a working dog, but any wolf dog with significant wolf content wouldn't be able to do that. Um, So then people kind of had two main options. Number one is just try to find somebody that will take their wolf dog off their hands. So basically send this wolf dog to another private owner, or then there was basically the euthanasia option. Um, Because when it comes to SBCAs, humane societies, that kind of, you know, municipal shelters, those types of rescue organizations, they don't take in wolf dogs because they don't have the facilities to care for them. And then there's the liability issues as well. So unfortunately for most wolf dogs that ended up needing to be rehomed, they would either just get kind of bounced from home to home or be euthanized. Um then there is obviously the odd one that probably would just get set free in a forest, which I think is um extremely cruel Mm -hmm. because they're not designed to be able to survive in the wild. Um, You're basically just starving that wolf dog to death. Um, I like to think that that wouldn't happen very often, although I have come across cases that that has happened, but yeah, there honestly weren't any viable options for wolf dogs. And so once I kind of realized that that is what really inspired me to start rescuing wolf dogs and kind of be that resource for people to be able to yeah surrender their wolf dogs too but then obviously provide the educational component as well.
0: well that's great. That was going to be my next question. How did Yamniska come to be? So um I know I've been doing a little bit of research with Yamniska and how you got started. And I know that you had some challenges in the beginning with the first home because Yamniska has moved since you started, right? Correct. So you had some issues with the first location. Could you expand on that a little bit?
1: Yeah. So basically, I mean, at the end of the day, I was, by the time I officially opened the nonprofit, um, I was 21 years old, so still pretty young and not quite understanding how the world worked. Mm -hmm. And so here I was running this rescue, but I didn't know that there would be county bylaws That would impact that (laughs) and um so yeah by the time um yeah the county kind of got involved I ended up needing to apply for a kennel permit and that kind of thing um which ended up not being approved and so when it just came down to basically land use bylaws which now I'm very familiar with but as a 21 (laughs) year old like honestly I didn't even know that that was a thing right um (laughs) So, yeah, so due to some land use bylaws, that was not going to happen. And so in 2014 was when we moved to our current location here in Rocky View County, just outside of Cochrane, um, where I was able to get the proper kennel permit and land use bylaws, be compliant with them. And um, but yeah, now we're out on 160 acres and have just are in a much better place to be able to you know, have a proper wolf dog facility. And in a way, like it was, I mean, it was very much a blessing in disguise because even though starting over was very daunting and and heartbreaking in a way, I learned a lot about some of my original enclosures and and how I would want to lay them out in the future. And so having a bit of a do-over was, you know, there was that silver lining where now I can design how the enclosures are laid out and spaced and all this kind of stuff um, to better suit the wolf dogs and, and to run a large scale wolf dog rescue.
0: Yeah. That tends to happen with things, doesn't it? You think it's a awful in the moment, but in the end it ends up being a blessing. So totally, I know I learned a lot in the past, a uh, couple of years. We can talk about that later about your enclosures and why they're so specialized and, very expensive for you to have built and very specialized. So I would love if you could tell people a little bit about how these enclosures are. They're not just a four foot fence. Like I had, how do you, how do you build them and lay them out?
1: Yeah. So basically um, they are indeed quite specialized because at the end of the day, we have to remember that wolves are essentially professional athletes, right? So they are designed to be able to take down elk and moose and, Yeah. I mean, they're extremely athletic animals. (laughs) And so when we're talking about wolf dogs, they're obviously going to retain a lot of these physical capabilities. And so having just a four foot fence backyard or even a six foot fence backyard just isn't going to cut it. And so all our enclosures here at the sanctuary are essentially eight feet tall with two foot overhangs. We've got four foot dig guards um, they have a double gated entries, and they are minimum kind of one to two acres in size and so this ensures that the wolf dogs have plenty of space. all their enclosures do have um you know groves of trees in them because they do need cover in order to be able to kind of express some of their natural behaviors. You can't just put them in a two acre field without any trees or brush or you know I mean that's not they like to be able to hide if they feel uncomfortable, basically, right? Um, But yeah, you have to have specific gates and locks and dig guards and overhangs to ensure that um, those animals stay safe in their enclosures. And I'm not trying to say that the wolf dogs are actively trying to escape their enclosures or anything like that, but it's even somewhat similar to huskies, right? Like, if they escape once, then they're just going to keep doing it because they've now been rewarded for that effort because yeah, they're gonna, I mean, if a husky gets to go running down a field, chasing a deer or something, Mm -hmm. um, they've now been rewarded for escaping their containment. And especially when new rescues arrive, it's a, pretty scary transition, right? And they are stressed out at first because yeah, it's generally a pretty overwhelming experience. And so you have to make sure that they are safe in that containment. Um, and that yeah they don't learn that they can escape and go have a good time right (laughs) Um, they end up learning that those big enclosures are their safe space and we ensure that we provide them everything they need in their enclosures in order to be happy Um, that yeah at the end of the day you have to make sure that in those times of stress or if they do feel some kind of desire to escape because let's say they see a deer or something like that that they can't Because a wolf dog running free is usually going to spell trouble at some point in time.
0: They'll probably get themselves in some trouble too, as you mentioned earlier. They won't survive on their own. And Mm -hmm. I know by following your social media that you guys put some careful planning into which wolf dogs you put together. And sometimes it seems, you can correct me if I'm wrong, that um, sometimes siblings or couples or... You know, you've, you you kind of decide who fits best as well. So they have they all have companionship too, as far as I can see. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And I know you guys also put a lot of effort into enrichment. Um, things like uh, you do fun stuff like Easter egg hunts and <laughs> and all kinds of really cool stuff like that. So they they see all seem very happy to, in my opinion. And even though you have people coming through and viewing, they always have a place to go if they feel uncomfortable. They don't have to come out. They can, they're can, they not forced to perform or do anything like that. They still have free run to to go where they need to go. So I think that's amazing. Yeah. yeah,
1: well, thank you. And I know when it, and one thing that I'll kind of share for the audience when it comes to the wolf dogs in Richmond is that we have to keep in mind that especially the high content wolf dogs they are such intellectual animals. Um, you know, if you think about a domestic dog and some dog breeds are better problem solvers than other ones. But generally speaking, I find that the maturity level of a dog is kind of toddler age, right? (laughs) Um, Whereas with the wolf dogs, we're dealing with maturity level of like teenagers here. So they are definitely more naughty, more independent, um, sometimes rebellious, um, but they just also need a lot more stimulation in order to be happy and content. And they are amazing problem solvers. And so, yeah, you do have to ensure that you are providing them with plenty of Physical stimulation combined with mental stimulation, right? So all their enclosures, they do have platforms and play structures. And in the summertime, we give them big stock tanks and all that kind of stuff. And then we basically complement that and supplement that with then more so enrichment activities where we do scent rolling with them. We hide meat in the trees. We'll do, you know, a little scavenger hunt for them. Um, we, you know, we'll even do things like bring straw and like use straw from the goats that is totally different for them. Right. Um, we've used like, we've done silly things like blown like bubbles at them. Right. And it's just like all these just new, um, novel ways to stimulate their brains and all that kind of stuff. And, and yeah, they are very intellectual animals. And, um, just like with a dog, a bored dog is usually a dog that, has some bad behaviors, right? And with a wolf dog, that's about ten times worse. If they're really bored, um, that's when you're going to start seeing just way more difficult behaviors because they are expressing that they're unhappy and unfulfilled.
0: Totally makes sense. I've seen you put uh, fish in those stock tanks too. So yeah, let them go fishing. So you yeah. guys will give you the info at the end of the show, but you'll have to definitely go and follow because there's a lot of fun stuff going on over there. You can't have a wolf dog yourself because let's face it, you're probably not suited for one. <laughs> not many of us are. You can definitely live vicariously through the social media <laughs> and get some fun out of that. <laughs> uh, are you ever able to, I know that um, you get wolf dogs coming in. Are you ever able to adopt any of them out or do you get any low content ones that you find might be suitable for uh Regular everyday Joes like myself?
1: Yeah, so for sure. So, when it comes to any of our wolf dogs that do end up being um, adoptable in a sense, they're only ever going to be the low-content wolf dogs because it's really only low-content wolf dogs that are capable and interested in living a companion animal type of lifestyle. So, it's when we get a low content wolf dog come in that let's say, you know, was raised by a family and is used to that companion animal type of lifestyle. The goal for us is to be able to continue for that wolf dog to have that. And so Because we are a sanctuary, we don't offer that companion animal type of lifestyle because all the wolf dogs live outdoors. Um, You know, they're not, we can't have them just all in one big yard coming into our house. Like that's just not how it works. Um, So any of the wolf dogs that came from that companion animal type of lifestyle, the goal is to basically find a home that is able to offer that and is qualified to meet the needs of that animal. Um, so, any of the wolf dogs that live here as permanent residents are either wolf dogs that are high content or mid content wolf dogs that aren't suitable as companion animals, or the odd low content wolf dog that is a permanent resident um, either was not raised in that companion animal type of lifestyle, was feral, or yeah, just was not properly socialized to be able to live in a family or, you know, an urban environment, or just being a companion, right? They aren't interested in that.
0: Okay. So you guys have, you just have to be very, um, I mean, you guys would be the ones to decide that and people should just trust your expertise when it comes to that sort of thing. You're not just, this isn't a suitable dog or wolf dog. Just let it go. <laughs> yes, <laughs> indeed. Indeed. <laughs> So I've been to the sanctuary a few times, so I kind of know how this works pretty well. But can you tell our listeners a little bit what about what they can expect when they visit the sanctuary?
1: Yeah, you bet. So we are indeed open to the public because one of the big focuses that we try to offer is that educational component. Um, and one of the things that's really interesting is that... When people come visit the sanctuary, they can see wolf dogs of these varying wolf content, right? So they can see low content wolf dogs, what they look like, what they behave like. They can see mids and highs for themselves and kind of put all those dots together because it's really easy for me to talk about all the physical differences, the behavioral differences, but being able to come to the sanctuary and kind of see it with your own eyes, um, it really kind of helps that information to land, but you just kind of get it. There's a quality about just what the animals are able to show you that us humans can never provide in words or in signage or that kind of stuff, right? So yeah, being able to just experience it yourself, I think is something that is really special. And a lot of the wolf dogs that we have here, that you know, especially the ones that have been living here for quite some time, and this might sound silly or cheesy, but I'm going to say it anyway, but I, I swear that they know that it's their job to be able to teach people about who they are. And, and, you know, they are really the ambassadors that help people connect to even wild wolves and why wild wolves are so important to conserve in our natural environments and all that kind of stuff. Right. And yeah, like some of the wolf dogs just love people watching and, and, yeah, they do genuinely enjoy being able to share who they are with people. There's obviously some of our rescues that have come from pretty bad backgrounds that prefer to just kind of hang out in the trees and not do that. But you as a visitor, you get to see that difference, right? And you can really see how important socialization, um, what an important role socialization plays in, in an animal, right? And how they It affects how they relate to people and all that kind of stuff. Um, But yeah, so as far as visiting, I mean, people can literally just come wander the pathways and view the animals and read the signage. We run different enrichment activities with the wolf dogs that people can actually view. So if they want to see the wolf dog scent roll on maple syrup or, you know, like pickle juice or whatever, right? Like they can see that. Um, Or if they want to watch the wolf dogs do a little scavenger hunt through the trees because we've hidden meat in the trees, that kind of stuff. Like they can physically come watch the wolf dogs and watch their behavior and how their brains work and all that kind of stuff. Um, And then we've got some more in-depth tours too, where we actually take people into the enclosures to meet with some of the ambassador wolf dogs so that you can really have that personal interaction with them and, and see for yourself how different they are than domestic dogs in many ways, but where some of those similarities lie as well. And I find that it really helps people to even just connect to their own dogs at home, because you can really see what you end up being able to see really what behaviors are just so domestic dog and and maybe what some of these behaviors are that are these kind of remnants of instinctual wolf behaviors. Right. And it's, it's really cool.
0: It is really cool. And I've kind of done all of the experiences there, but, um, I think you just have to go and do all of it, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because wandering the pathways on a nice su- sunny day and just watching them carrying their their bones around, or fishing, or just watching us taking pictures. Of course, if you like to take yeah. photos, it's definitely a good opportunity for that as well. And is it Mako that comes out uh, on a leash and collar and howls with everybody?
1: Yeah. So one of the activities that we'll run, not all the time, but sometimes is we bring Mako out on leash because um, she loves people and she's always game for good belly rub from people. And, and yeah, then people can kind of see, um, yeah, what kind of a low content wolf dog can behave like for sure. Um, and yeah, I mean, we run all sorts of fun activities and all that stuff is either always on our website or social media so people can check it out.
0: Yeah, and we'll put all that in the show notes too. So definitely go there and you can. we'll give you all the links you need to check out all, all of this stuff. Um, so how long, you were saying you opened the sanctuary in 2014, right? So we
1: moved to our current location in 2014, but I started the sanctuary in 2011.
0: Okay, awesome. Um, what do you attribute its success to? I look at the sanctuary as being very successful. And what, what do you think the key is to uh, what you've started here, this amazing thing you've built?
1: Yeah. So that's a really good question. Honestly, if you would have asked me this question probably like two years ago, I would have a very different answer. Um, And I'm going to attribute this to just me evolving as a person and just, you know, like, yeah, I mean, I think even just appreciating how much the sanctuary has changed and how much I've been able to change, how much the wolf dogs have changed. So um, that. One of the things that I've really realized, I think has been the true key to success of the sanctuary as a whole, is that all along, I've just been able to follow my passion, my heart, and, and just follow what I know is right for the animals. And yeah, and I mean, in a way, maybe again, I'm embarrassed to admit that it took me like 10 years to figure that out. Um, but I mean, at the time I was just living it and, and I don't know what happened two years ago, but I just was able to gain some kind of different perspective on things that yeah, like I was able to realize that it's always been about just the intentions, right? Like I've always wanted to do what is right for the animals and, and what has felt right in my heart. And I think that's allowed me to make a lot of the right decisions, I guess, right? Like it was never about, I want to create this big sanctuary and I want to have, you know, this many animals and I want people to, you know, I want to be the only wolf dog sanctuary in Canada. I want this many visitors. Like it's never been about that. Like I was never trying to build a business or an organization, really. I was just kind of always making decisions of, you know, I think this is right for the animal. I think, you know, like this is you know, something that's going to improve how they're able to live their lives. And, and yeah, and I think just a lot of things came together where it ended up becoming what it is today. So I can't really give an answer. Of, yeah, I did this, this and this, and this is what made it work. At the end of the day, like every person um, is kind of their own you know, brings their own unique things to the table. And and I think the sanctuary is what it is today. And it's very different from, you know, a lot of the other places that are, you know, even in the United States, that kind of thing, because I've always done what's felt right in my heart and kind of followed my passion. And, and that's what's created this. But I would be remiss if I didn't also say that I have been extremely fortunate to be able to have so many wonderful people kind of join the sanctuary, whether that's been, you know, our current staff, previous staff, some of our interns, like it's just attracted so many wonderful people that has helped the sanctuary grow and and allowed us to be able to really extend our educational reach to people and all that kind of stuff. Like I don't want to Take credit for it all because there's been so many wonderful people that have and are a part of this that have created what the sanctuary is today.
0: That's amazing. And it's, you know, you're kind of making me think of you build it and they will come. And that's kind of what you did. (laughs) (laughs) And you're you're just attracting all of the people that are just kind of inspired by you and helping you build this vision that you had, which... Um, visions change and they grow, and that sounds like that's what's happened with you. And I mean, you were so young when you started this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you how much you've accomplished in your? You said you were thirty one. I think I cut you off when you said well, that. I'm now I'm thirty three. Okay, yes. <laughs> you don't look a day over twenty. <laughs> uh, well, thank you. I'm, I'm going to take that. <laughs> I'm going to bank
1: that and and have that for later too.
0: <laughs> but it's very inspiring, and. um People, listeners, if you're in the area or you want to come to visit Canada or Alberta, which is um, I'm biased, but it's the most uh, beautiful province in all of Canada. But um, if you ever come to visit, you can help the sanctuary by just coming and, and taking a tour and, and spending some time there and just learning and educating and then passing that on to other people. But if you can't come, what are the other ways that people can get involved in supporting the sanctuary?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, we are, I mean, we're kind of similar to many other rescues where we do obviously have options where people can support the sanctuary without actually visiting. So whether it's just sponsoring one of our wolf dogs, becoming a monthly donor, um, we even have an Amazon wish list if you want to buy, you know, a bag of treats for the wolf dogs, that kind of thing. Um, We usually have um, you know, different fundraising campaigns happening that people can donate to as well, which is always appreciated. Um, But yeah, I mean, there's many ways that people can support the sanctuary and help the wolf dogs without visiting. Um, If you can visit, obviously I encourage it because there's nothing like being able to get to see these animals in real life. Um, But yeah, I mean, becoming a monthly donor helps us kind of have that sustainable funding coming every month that helps us care for the wolf dogs as well. Um, And then for people that are kind of specifically interested in the educational standpoint, um, and I'm not sure if you're, maybe I'm skipping ahead a bit. Oh, that's okay.
0: Go ahead. I do want to talk
1: about wolf dog awareness as well. Um, It's basically kind of a new initiative that I started um, last year where I want to basically be able to, provide all the education that people could ever desire or need if they're interested in wolf dog ownership um, and have that available to people worldwide. So even if you can't come visit the sanctuary, I wanted to create a place where people can have access to all the resources that they're ever going to need. If they are interested in learning what it's truly like to own a wolf dog, what you really need to be a successful wolf dog owner, Or if you're already a wolf dog owner, but you're going through some challenges, um, I provide tons of information about, yeah, just some troubleshooting different behaviors about wolf dogs as well. And um, yeah, it's basically people can go on our website. It's wolfdogawareness.com. And there's tons of articles there. We're also launching a video series where we're basically doing um, different interviews with wolf dog owners, because one of the things that... I know that I went through with some of my challenges with Kuna originally was that, you know, I was having all these challenges and I thought like, am I the only one? Or is there other people that, you know, have these issues and that, you know, maybe they have advice for me because every wolf dog is so different and every person's situation is different that I want to be able to kind of share these stories with people about, yeah, all these different types of wolf dog owners and different kind of walks of life that people can kind of learn about so that they can hopefully take their situation and then figure out well, given my situation, is a wolf dog right for me? And if so, what wolf content, right? Or what are some of the challenges that I can expect given my lifestyle, that kind of thing. So um yeah, I just want to be able to basically provide a resource that gives people accurate and specific information about true wolf dog behavior and true wolf dog ownership to cut away all the misconceptions, all the wrong information, and just provide people with just the
0: real truth about wolf dog ownership. The stuff you wish you'd had when you were going through what you were going through with Kuna. (laughs) Indeed. Yes. (laughs) I think that's fabulous. And I have been on the website and there's lots of good stuff on there. And um, I even saw one article where you were talking about how to even look at what a a decent wolf dog breeder looks like, because I would imagine there's a lot of, based on uh, things I've learned following you and where you have to go into breeding situations and actually take the dogs or the wolf dogs. Um, There's not, there's a lot of not good breeders. So um, all of that information is extremely valuable. So definitely go check that out. And we will put that info in the show notes as well. Make sure everybody finds you there. So yeah, you actually asked my question before I could. So that's fine. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) All right. So I'm going to ask you one final question. (laughs) When you look back at everything that brought you to this point, all the stuff you just talked about, all the stuff you told us about, would you say that Kuna and the struggles you had with her you on your life's path. Oh my gosh. Yes, one hundred percent.
1: So and it's I try not to think about what ifs too often and what not, but like I cannot help but ask myself the question of what would my life have been like if I never came across Kuna because I was going to school to be a civil engineer. So I, that would have been very different. Um, yep. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, honestly, like with Kuna, especially like she has taught me s- so much about just even myself. Right. And, and again, kind of cheesy, kind of silly, um, but she has been such a window into me getting to know myself because there's certain animals that you come across that just have an ability to reflect back, mm-hmm. you know, kind of what you are putting out in a way. And Kuna is one of those animals that she reflects everything back. She's not going to let me get away with anything. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, like she's challenged me in so many ways that, is, that has caused me to at times question myself. Um, but, yeah, I just very much grow as a person and there's, yeah, these animals just have so much to teach if you're paying attention to them. And yeah, like they've given me such an opportunity to be able to grow and, and without Kuna kind of putting me on that track, I would have been doing something completely different with my life, obviously, but I think I would have been a very, very different person. And I can't imagine not being able to live out my dream every single day, which is what I get to do now, right? And if I would have been an engineer and I wouldn't have had Kuna, um, I would would not have been able to, yeah, follow my passion, follow my heart. And yeah, just not, I wouldn't be me. And that's a scary thought.
0: (laughs) It's a scary thought, but at the same time, if somebody the listeners could take away something from that. It would be um, don't always look at those negative or frustrating or challenging situations as something that's bad. Just take a moment and reflect on it or many moments (laughs) and try to figure out what you're supposed to learn from and and what you're supposed to learn from that situation and how you can grow as a person.
1: At the end of the day, we have to remember that we're always going to have challenges in our lives. Right. And so you may as well live the challenges that are on your path of what you truly love to do. Right. Absolutely. And, um, but yeah, because I know when I decided to start the sanctuary and whatnot, like there was a lot of risk involved and I wasn't sure. And there was a lot of self doubt and whatnot that I think at the end of the day, if you follow your passion, you follow your heart, like you can't go wrong.
0: I kind of feel that way too. It's almost, I'm not going to say you can't fail, but Um, as being a small business owner, there's a lot of scariness there. You're giving up, you're signing away your house, you're signing away a lot of your career. In my case, I signed away some careers, (laughs) your education, and it's really scary, but it was to the same as you just follow a, a different path. And for me, the path was to help dogs and I guess help people help their dogs. And stuff works out. I mean, I still have food on my table. <laughs> I'm able to sit here with you in the middle of a day on a Monday and do these this interview. So, um yeah, I mean, it's scary, but sometimes the stuff really pays off, doesn't it?
1: <laughs> well, and a lot of times the failures are just the stepping stones to the next success, right? Totally agree with that.
0: Absolutely. Well, Georginas has been a wonderful conversation. I'm so glad that I was able to get you um, on the show and ha- have this wonderful interview. And I'm very excited to hear the feedback from this episode because I think it's going to go down really, really well. I think people are going to be excited to learn this. This is new information for a lot of people. So <laughs> I think this is going to be really great. And I hope you see a lot of them at the sanctuary. <laughs> well, I just want to
1: say a huge thank you for having me on and, yeah, just giving me the platform to be able to share some of, yeah, my knowledge, my passion and, I do hope that people are inspired to come visit the sanctuary and come learn about wolf dogs and yeah, just kind of come share and how amazing these animals are because people might be surprised
0: how it can just impact different aspects of their lives, right? Absolutely. It brings to me, it brings a little bit of nature just closer. That's kind of how I look at it. <laughs> yes. I'm Holly Montgomery. My guest today has been Georgina Decony. Thank you for listening and bye bye for now. Thank you for listening. If you loved this episode, please subscribe and share with your dog-loving friends. The information in this podcast is not intended to replace veterinary care. Always consult with your veterinarian for diagnosis and treatment of your pup. Sound good. Let's hit stop on this baby.